Thank you, Trinity Church. Glad to be here. Glad you're here. Welcome to uh, those who are here in the room. Welcome to those in the pavilion, those who are watching online, including my mom, who right now is turning to the people who she's sitting with and going, why didn't my son tuck his shirt in? <laughs> Southern California, ma. So, uh, so it, is, it is great to be here. I'm here with my wife, uh, Kathy. We've been married for 29 years, and uh, I am uh, so excited to be here. I know that you're supposed to say that, right? I mean, as a speaker, you're supposed to get up here, and you're supposed to say, oh, it's great to be here, because nobody will listen if you get up here, and you're like, it's not really great to be here. This is really a struggle. But uh, seriously, it's great to be here, and I, and I can prove it to you how great it is to be here. And it's not just because when we left Chicago on Friday, it was snowing. <laughs> it was. It's more than that. We left from O'Hare Airport, and O'Hare for years had the distinction of being the busiest airport in the world. It's still one of the busiest. I, I think Atlanta and Dallas and some others may have passed it, but it's extremely, extremely busy. If you were to say to me, Steve, do you want to go to O'Hare? No. <laughs> On top of that, they've been doing construction at O'Hare since roughly the Nixon administration. <laughs> and it's a mess. It just, do you want to go to O'Hare? No. Nobody wants to go to O'Hare. Well, right, let's sweeten the deal. How about this? You, you want to go stand in the TSA security line? How about that? No. I don't want to do that. If it's up to me, I don't want to have to. Well, okay, well, what about getting on a plane? And, you know, three and a half hours on a plane. Do you want to do that? No. And part of the reason why is because I always sit behind a recliner. You know, I know, this is a split thing. Some of you, uh, you, you like, are like me. You don't believe in reclining. It's like we're all in this together. I, you have your space. You know, I don't want to intrude on your space. And then some of you are like, I don't care. <laughs> right, right back. And I have to surgically remove the tray table from my sternum. <laughs> and seriously, it happens every time. And so we got on the plane this time. Uh, to come out here, and the, I felt so good because the woman sitting in front of me was maybe four foot eleven, maybe. And she reclined as soon as we we got up, and I just turned to my wife and went, "There you go. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. You, you, you want you want to sit on the plane for three and a half hours? No. We got in um, Friday night, really Saturday morning. It was like three o'clock in the morning, our time. By the time we got to the hotel and got to bed. This doesn't sound great, does it? If, if it's up to me, and you said, do you want to do any of these things? The answer is like, in myself, my own will, no. But what's on the other side? What's on the other side is you, getting to meet you, getting to handle God's word. And it's not even a contest. Do you, you want to do these things? Yes, of course I want to do these things. I'm willing to lay down my will, what I want, what I think is best, my preference, my comfort, for the sake of this. And all of you understand that because there are things that you would do. You would go through all of those things and more to see, travel and see kids and grandkids go on vacation, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely, 
it's worth it. There's a point in time where we just lay down our will for something else. There is no doubt, as we saw today, the kids walking through here reminding us that it's Palm Sunday, sometimes called the triumphal entry of Jesus, that Jesus in that moment is doing the will of God. If you just polled people around, do you think this is God's will? Absolutely it's God's will. Hundreds of years before, the prophets had predicted that this exact scene was going to take place, that Jesus is taking part in. They predicted the animal he would ride on, the city that it would happen in, the response of the people, the whole deal. He's doing God's will. Now, when I talk about God's will, it can be this big concept. So let's make it really, really simple. What is God's will? It's just doing what God wants. For our purposes today, that's what God's will is. It's just doing what God wants. If I were to take a poll here and say, do you, do you think it's important for followers of Jesus to do what God wants? Look, even if you've been in the church for years, even if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for years, of course you're going to answer, yes, it's important for a follower of Christ to do that. But if you haven't, if you're here and you're still kind of kicking the tires of Christianity, you're wondering whether this book is true, whether... Jesus is like real. First of all, we're glad you're here. This is a great place to ask those questions and be on that journey. But even you, if I asked you, well, what do you think? Do you think Christ followers want to do the will of God? Yes! We want to do God's will. Jesus says, earlier in the book of John, he says, why am I here? Do you know why I'm here? I'm not here to do my own will. I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. That's John chapter 6, verse 38. This is Jesus' mission, to do the will of God. Later on in Hebrews, by doing God's will, Jesus made us holy because he gave us access to God. By being an obedient servant. My guess is, most all of us would claim that we want God's will for our lives. And there are specific situations, aren't there? We want to know God's will. Do I take the job or not? Do I go to this school or that school? What do I major in? Should I have that hard conversation with that friend? How do I respond to the lawsuit? These these are all the kinds of situations where we would love to know the will of God. We just open it up and turn to page 301, and there it is. This is exactly what we're supposed to do, but it doesn't work that way. And before we can do God's will, there's something else an important step that we have to take part in, before we can do God's will, we actually have to want to do God's will. Doesn't that make sense? I, I don't end up in California unless I actually want to get on the plane and do the security. And If we're going to do God's will, we have to actually want to do God's will. And this is 
hard. It's hard. Because somebody else's will often is more important than God's in our lives. Sometimes it's our own. But sometimes it's the will of someone else, a parent or a mentor, a boss. Somebody has a will for our lives, and they're pushing us forward. They're driving us forward. And when was the last time we like, took a step back and go, wait a minute, wait a second. Whose will is this? What is it that, that I'm actually doing here? We've been looking at the arrest and the trial of Jesus, and that's where we're going to be Again, today, we're going to be in John chapter 19. Your Bibles, electronic devices, whatever you have, if you want to turn there, you can. We're going to look at the second half of Jesus' trial. And as we look at that, we're going to see examples of this in Pilate and the religious leaders. Examples of being driven to do someone else's will. And then we're going to see the ultimate example of doing God's will in the person of Jesus Christ. Last week... Pilate asked two very important questions. Are you a king? He asked Jesus. And somewhat derisively, what is truth? He didn't stick around to hear the answer to what truth was. And he really wasn't motivated to figure out whether Jesus was a true king. But here's where the trial continues. Uh, John chapter 19, let's go to verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe. And they went to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And then they slapped him in the face. And once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to him, here is the man. But as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate has Jesus beaten and paraded in front of the people. He wants the Jewish people to understand, the religious leaders in particular, to understand that he's taking their concerns seriously. But he also, we believe, has the sense that something is very wrong with this. He says, I don't find any reason for charges against this man. Right then and there, the trial should be over. Done. He's passed sentence. Not guilty. This ain't going to happen. They don't accept his answer. The religious leaders who have fought Jesus his entire ministry and who have arrested him and brought him to Pilate don't accept this answer from him. And so the, the trial continues. Verse 7, the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was even more, important word, afraid. 
And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. There's a reason why the religious leaders want Jesus crucified. It's very, very important. They don't just want him dead. They can kill him. They're going to kill Stephen in a few short years, martyr him. They were ready to, to kill the woman who was caught in adultery. They can do this. They can stone him to death. That's not what they want. They don't just want him dead. They want the end of his legacy. In the Mosaic law, law of Moses, cursed is anyone who is hung on a pole. You hang on a pole, your whole legacy is destroyed. That's what they want to see. They don't just want him dead. They want his legacy dead. They want everybody who believes in him to go, well, obviously, this guy was nothing. And so they call for his crucifixion, the most public way that someone can die. So everybody gets the message. Afraid. Pilate is surrounded and commands Roman centurions. <laughs> He's got this guy who's like woozy on his feet from beating, standing in front of him. And he's got this crowd shouting, why in the world is he afraid? In our world, we have atheists and agnostics. We have people who just don't believe in God at all. It's a lot of people uh, are, are that way. In the ancient world, the Bible's not written to us, it's written for us. In the ancient world, not a lot of atheists, if any. Everybody knows. Everybody believes in multiple gods. Everybody, everybody knows that there are many gods that do many different things. That's why the Jewish people are bizarre. What do you mean there's one God? Are you crazy? One God that does everything? The sea, the mountains, valleys, rain, the whole deal? Right. Pilate has been raised in a religious system. If you read any of Roman mythology, you know something, that it is fairly frequent that gods or their children put on clothes, put on flesh, and come down to earth and cause mischief, usually, chaos, usually. Pilate has heard the rumors about Jesus. He knows what, what he's capable of, or at least what people say he's capable of. I believe what Pilate is asking Jesus here is why he asked the question, where are you from? He doesn't mean Nazareth. He doesn't mean Galilee, Bethlehem. He doesn't mean any of that stuff. Are you one of them? He's got it almost right, doesn't he? He's almost right. He's close. He's asking the right question. The religious leaders say that they have a law. You can't claim to be the son of God. You have to die. Bzzzt. Not a law. They know the law. They have memorized more of the Bible than most any of us ever will. You can claim to be the son of God. The kings of Israel are routinely called the son of God. Jesus, John accounts... For one time, Jesus is standing in the temple, and John is so specific about it, he says Jesus was standing here, this location in the temple, this exact spot, when he first claims to be the Son of God. And nobody cares. Everybody's like, okay, 
Why now? Everything is coming together. The stories of Jesus and Pharisees and Sadducees and Pilate and Herod, who's this puppet king of Israel just to sort of keep peace, and Caesar, and all of it is coming to, to a head. But Jesus is strategically silent when Pilate asks him, where are you from? In verse 10, this annoys Pilate. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you'd have no power over me if it weren't given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed you over to me is guilty of a greater sin. Jesus has all authority. He's already told his followers this. They're like ready to defend him with violence when he is arrested. And he goes, stop, don't you know? Haven't you seen enough of me to know that I could call down angels right now and wipe everybody out? I have the authority to do that. He's not making use of that authority. He admits in this moment that he has laid down his will in deference to the will of his heavenly Father, just as he said he would earlier in John. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, Oh, you let this man go! You're no friend of Caesar! Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar! Well, when Pilate heard this, he thought uh, he brought Jesus out and uh, sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement. In Aramaic is Gabbatha. It's the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Pilate tries again. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked, we have no king but Caesar. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Friend of Caesar, by the way, is not, not just like saying... Um, you know, you'd be a good Roman. It, it's the difference in our world between saying of a, a soldier, you know, he, he fought honorably versus he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. They're two very different things. A friend of Caesar is an official title. It's given to those who do extraordinary things for the emperor. Not just for the empire, it has to be for the emperor. And here's what they're saying. If you continue on this course of letting this man go, we are going to make sure your career goes no further. You'll never get there. You'll never go as high as you could. And we're going to make sure of that. Now, John, who's writing this, um, as far as we know, is the only disciple who was at the cross. All the other ones 
left. We don't know when John got there. We assume he was there for the trial, hiding in the crowd. There's a reason why he wrote this down. There's a reason why we have his gospel, and he tells us why. Later on in John chapter 19, he's just going to tell us right out. John 19, verse 35, he says, speaking about himself in third person, the man who saw Jesus crucified has given testimony. Talking about himself. And his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. This is why John writes it down, no doubt. So that we would know it's true, and we would believe in Jesus Christ. But in the writing down of this particular moment in Jesus' trial, he reveals a master class in doing the will of God or not doing it and doing someone else's will entirely. See, in, in order to accomplish God's will, we have to relinquish all others. If we are going to do the will of God, we have to let go of every other will, including our own. Let's look at Pilate for just a moment. What did he do? Pilate's quote, if we could put words into his mouth, would be this, I want what I want. That's his will. We already know Pilate's wife has come to him kind of on the sly and said, honey, I don't know anything about this guy that's on trial with you, but I'll just tell you Something supernatural happened to me while I was sleeping. It was weird. It was scary. This man is, her words, powerful. Don't mess around with this guy. This guy's powerful. But the religious leaders are kicking up dust. And, and Pilate is a political opportunist. And he's weighing back and forth. Well, I don't know. If I do this, then that, well, if I don't do this, and think about this. This man is a judge for Rome. He is entrusted with what is right and what is fair. He's entrusted with true justice. And he makes a decision to set this man named Barabbas, who was guilty, he knew was guilty of an insurrection against Rome, he lets him go free, and he takes this innocent man, Jesus, and he allows him to be crucified. He takes the whole concept of justice, and he turns it over on its head. Why? To get what he wants. This is the easiest motivation for us to understand. I don't even need to illustrate this for us. If you really want illustration of working hard to get what you want, just like follow me around for a few days. Because too often I find myself in this place, maneuvering, scheming, thinking about, well, what, what do I want? <laughs> How do I get it? This is what Pilate is doing. In our world, we live in this place of self-everything. 
self-empowerment, self-aggrandizement, self-love. What is the highest value in our culture right now? Speaking your truth. You need to speak your truth. See, as though truth is relative with each person. Not the truth, your truth. Pilate's truth is whatever works out best for him. That's wanting what you want. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the things that you must do, one of the things that we have to undertake is changing. We should look more and more like Christ all the time. The Holy Spirit should be a presence in our life. Now, we have things in our lives that God wants to change because they don't look like Jesus. How do you respond to those things? Do you, do you find yourself saying often things like, hey, look, you knew what you got when you married me. I'm just, just part of the deal. That's somebody else's problem. That's not my problem. I'm just going to be who I am. And I don't know that that's available to us if we're Christ followers. We should always be looking at, oh, I don't know, maybe this doesn't please the Lord. Maybe I'm just doing this for me. This is lifted up in our culture, but it certainly isn't in God's Word. What about the religious leaders, these, these ancestors of Moses, as they like to refer to themselves? In order to accomplish God's will, you have to relinquish all others. Pilate can't. What about them? Here's what they say. This is subtle. God wants what I want. Ooh. This is not as blatant. If I said, asked you to do something, you said, hey, look, man, I just want what I want. You would know. It would come out of your mouth, and you, as it came out, you'd be doing that. Oh, no, I shouldn't have said that. But this is a little bit more subtle. God wants what I want. Pilate could not have cared less about God's kingdom. These men are supposed to not only care about it, it's supposed to be their highest value, their main concern. But instead of laying down their own will and considering whether this is right or not, whether what they believe is right or not, whether the, the ministry of Jesus is from God or not, they, they just decide it's not. And because we all agree that it's not, that must be God's will. Very early on in the establishment of the worship of the Lord, all the way back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the giving of the law, Yahweh, as the Hebrews call God, Yahweh establishes for his people, ways for them to know the will of God. This is kindness. So one of the ways is prophecy. He sends them prophets to go, hey, here, look, here's what's going on. They, they don't have a great track record with the prophets. They don't like what the prophets have to say. 
But that, that's not it. Uh, that's not all. They also have what Moses has written down for them in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They have all of this. They can look at that and decide, well, is there anything in here that would indicate God's will? They also have supernatural visitors. Sometimes what God is announcing is so big that he sends messengers right from him to deliver the message. But that's not all. They even have this strange thing called the Urim and the Thummim. They're, well, they're dice. That's what they are. And if there's ever a question, if they can't get an answer from God, they don't understand what's going on, they can, with great prayer, roll these little dice to see if God will answer what he wants for them through this. Sounds strange. God has provided ways for them to know his will. If you read the Gospels, if you read Acts, go ahead and look for a single time when God's voice pieces on earth, the ones who are supposed to be leading the people, look for a single time when with great humility they sit before the Lord and ask for his will. When we see them, they're sitting in a circle with each other, debating, talking, deciding. Well, what do you think we should do? I don't know. What do you think we should do? I don't know. What do you think we should do? Rubble, 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 rubble. That's what's going on in the room. There's a story in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, Jesus has already ascended to heaven. The new church is just getting started, and Peter and John miraculously heal someone at the temple, publicly, in front of everybody. Nobody can deny that this happened. The religious leaders get together to decide, well, what do we do about this? And this is exactly what happens. They talk to each other, what do you think we should do? I don't know, what do you think we should do? I don't know, but nobody says, well, why don't we ask God what we should do? And the contrast is marked because the very next section of Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have been warned, don't preach anymore. That's it. No more. You can't preach about this. Can't heal anybody. Don't do it. And they go back and they gather together with the other leaders of the church. And you know what they do? They don't sit around and discuss, well, what do we do now? Now we're under pressure. And what are we, how are we going to change this? And what are we going to do about that? And they pray and they worship God. And it's so powerful, this moment that Luke writes, the ground underneath them shakes. Which in most other places in the world is a really big deal when I say that. It's not a big deal, I think, to you guys. <laughs> like a big deal to me. That's what happens. They don't bother asking God. They don't bother sitting before God. They don't bother seeking God's face. Say, God, what do you want us to do? They just make a decision. And because they all agree with each other, it must be true. 
You know, I think if we're followers of Christ for a while, we become more and more prone to this. We've been in Bible studies. We know the Scripture. We've heard good teaching. We've done all kinds of stuff. We know a lot of theology, and we start making decisions based on, well, this must be God's will. This must be God's will. This must be God's will. And we sort of lose this muscle that many of us had at the beginning of our journey with Christ, which was, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know. What does God want me to do? There's a reason why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. Yes, to convict us of sin. Yes, to empower us for ministry. But also to steer us where we need to go to accomplish what it is he wants us to accomplish. Because in order to accomplish God's will, we have to relinquish all others. And, and this is... This is hard. And so finally we get to Jesus. Jesus is the real king with actual power, actual truth. He is the truth. What does Jesus say? It's very simple. I want what God wants. That's it. I want what God wants. Unlike the Pharisees, who just assume God wants what they want, Jesus said, I want what, what God wants. Jesus did what God wanted. It's why he's not going to be kept from going to the cross. However, let's not lose this little piece of the story. Right before Jesus is arrested, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he is praying fervently. We look at Jesus sometimes and go, yeah, but that's Jesus. I can't be like that. Look, look at what he asks God. God, I don't want to do this. He knows what's coming. He knows the crucifixion is going to happen. He knows the agony he's going to endure, not just physically, but spiritually, that he who knew no sin is going to become sin for us as the weight of everything we have ever done is unleashed on him. He says, I, I, I don't want to. But then he ends the prayer with the most frightening thing you can ever pray if you are bent on doing your own will. Father, not my will, but let yours be done. I lay down what I want, what I prefer, for your sake. This is not easy. Anyone doing the will of God may be forced to endure some really hard things. You may be forced to endure some persecution of your own. You may be forced to endure being forced out of the country with people you love and not sure whether you'll ever return. And wondering that the people that you've ministered to and, and loved there, what, what's going to happen to them? You may have to watch someone you love endure pain and not be able to help. You may be pushed away and rejected 
by family members. This is part of laying down our will and choosing the will of God. My in-laws are incredible people. And this uh, fall, they made the decision to move from their home of 30 years into assisted living. It's a hard, hard choice. And we took them over to visit this place, and we were kind of walking around, and my wife and her dad went over into another corner. They were talking about something, and I took my mother-in-law outside, and she was holding on to my arm. We walked outside. I'm showing her all the beautiful flowers. She loves being outside. Look at all the beautiful flowers, Mom. Right outside your door. You're going to love this. Look, here's some fruit trees right here. Look how the birds just come down. They pre- oh, you're going to love this. And she said, Stephen, I don't... I, I know this is the right thing for Dad and me, but I don't want to do this. Yeah, I know, Mom. Right at the end of the book of John, Peter, who has denied Christ and kind of walked away from ministry and gone back to fishing, is ashamed of himself. Jesus restores him to ministry and says, you got to lead my church. Then he tells him something. He said, look, Peter, if you want to follow the will of God, if you're really going to follow me, if you're going to follow hard after me and lead this church the way it needs to be led, you need to understand what's at stake. Someone someday is going to take you by the hand and take you where you do not want to go and stretch out your hands and you're going to lay down your life there. And John says, that's how Peter died, crucified, just like Jesus. Because when we really want to follow the will of God, sometimes it leads to places we would rather not go. That's why. That's why I believe when it comes to the will of God, this is the hardest step. This thing that Jesus is showing us how to do is the hardest thing. We can follow the will of God. We can seek the will of God. We can run after the will of God. But before we can do any of those things, we have to want the will of God. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray for us. And I'm just going to pray that we would want God's will. And we're going to just dedicate some time right now, just a a, a minute or two, to praying not just for the will of God, because I want, after the service, I'd love to pray for you. We have prayer team members who'd love to pray for you about a specific situation in your life, but right now, we're just going to pray that we would want God's will. So let's go to prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we can never accomplish anything that you have for us unless we first lay down and are willing to lay down our own will or the will of other people for your sake. As we're talking about your will right now 
in many of our minds and in our hearts, something is popping into our heads. We, we have a child or a grandchild that is not walking with you. We have a situation that is just on our minds. We wake up with it in the morning. We go to bed with it at night. We wake up in the middle of the night and it's still there. There's something medical happening. We don't even know all the answers. We have a situation at work, whatever it is, God, this, in this moment right now, we choose. We choose to stop scheming. We choose to stop maneuvering. We choose to stop manipulating. We choose to stop collecting things just in case. And we choose to want only what you want for us. God, give us the courage, we pray, to walk in this way. We ask this in the name of Jesus and for the sake of his reputation. And we all agreed and said, amen.